Okay, praise the Lord. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. That's where we're going to begin, or that's where we're going to camp out. <clears throat> Luke 17, and we're going to go through about half a dozen of scriptures, uh, verses uh, in, that, in that chapter. Um, and uh, God bless you. So we are going to get into Luke chapter 17, and what's taking place in Luke chapter 17 is really cool. I'm really excited about this because, uh, you know, as you just follow the, the, the footsteps of Christ and you see him in ministry and you see where, where he is, where, where he's going and where he was, uh, it's just exciting. So in Luke chapter 17, what's taking place there actually started, uh, it's on the Sabbath day, it actually starts in Luke 14. And in Luke 14, Jesus is invited to dinner. And this is about his third uh, visit uh, with a Pharisee. And he's invited to dinner by a chief Pharisee. So this is like a, a ruler of the Pharisees. So this is a big deal. And so in, in this dinner, even through all the way through 14 through 17, Jesus is surrounded by uh, Pharisees, disciples, uh, seekers, even mockers. So Jesus has an incredible audience. You see, <clears throat> Jesus, I think I've mentioned this before because we went over Luke 14, the latter part of Luke 14, uh, one study a while back. And Jesus is invited to a dinner. And when you, these dinners were oh, like an open event. So people knew like the rabbi or someone important is coming to, to have dinner with the chief Pharisee. And so people uh, hear about it, word gets around, and they show up. Doors are open. Uh, people are allowed to look through the windows, look, hang out, and, and listen to see what is going to be discussed. Because the Pharisee is going to have a major guest, and a lot of good conversation is going to take place. And this is an incredible opportunity for Jesus, of course, as you can imagine. So people gather. People want to see who is this Jesus. People want to hear who is this guy that I'm hearing all these things about. And so the town kind of gathers as this dinner is taking place. The thing about this dinner here is Jesus is being set up. It's a setup. There's a man who's ill, and it says that they, they invited him. There was a man who was ill, and in, in Luke 14, it, it says, it mentions that they were watching him closely. In other words, they were waiting for him to make a mistake. That's how closely they were observing him with, uh, with a, a critical eye. So they were, it was a setup. So Jesus goes, and I'm sure Jesus probably knew this, Jesus uh, goes to this dinner, and what happens is it's the Sabbath, and he heals that man that's there, the, the setup, the whole thing. He heals that guy. He even rebukes the host, this chief Pharisee, while he's there at this dinner. And throughout 14 through 17, this is all taking place, but it, it, the, the venue changes because at one point Jesus leaves. Jesus leaves this dinner, and the multitudes follow him. And that was common for people to follow Jesus. So the multitudes are following Christ. You have the Pharisees following him. You have mockers. You have disciples. You have people that are seeking to know more and hear more. And they're following Christ after this dinner. And this is still the Sabbath day, stretched out from Luke 14 to 17. And so when we, what we have in, in Luke 14, that's when Jesus talks about discipleship, uh, um, he speaks about taking up your cross. In Luke 15, we have what I like to call the lost chapter of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the, lost, the prodigal son. And then in 16, you see that he's warning the rich. Now, all of this is taking place as he's as he left, as he's going, and the multitudes are following. And what's interesting is, considering his audience, 
And, and I don't know how exactly it works, but we do know he addresses the disciples. He d- addresses the Pharisees. He addresses the, the ones that are seeking, even the mockers. So when he's addressing them, I, I don't know if he's looking to the, to the disciples or, or looking to the, the Pharisees, but this is his audience. And as he's going along the way, he's addressing these different groups. And it continues, and it takes us to Luke 17, verse 1. So we're going to start with verse 1. Scriptures are on the wall and on your TV or whatever you're looking through right now. So that'll help. But verse 1, it says, He, Jesus, said to his disciples, he's addressing his disciples at this point, He said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. So we'll stop right there. Jesus is talking to about, or two two different types of people here. And the two different types of people are really the disciples, which is a a learner, a pupil, or a student, it it means in the Greek. That's all disciple means. Um, And then he's also talking or addressing troublemakers. He's addressing the person who, the, who gets the, the woe, woe to him. So he's speaking of two different people. Um, really, there are two different people. They're either for Christ or against. And so he has his audience divided, if you will, into categories. Now, when we look at this passage or these passages, these verses here, uh, always my heart is to how do I apply what I'm learning or what I've learned or what I know and what we see together corporately so that we can apply it to our lives. Personal application. How am I going to leave here today? I want to leave here today so that I can learn to follow Christ more. Know what he wants out of me more. How can I love him more? All these things to, uh, to enrich, if you will, my walk, my faith, and, and my uh, loyalty, faithfulness to the Lord. So how you look at this passage and you're thinking, well, how, how are these things going to apply to me? And they are definitely going to apply to us big time. How is it relevant to me? Very relevant as we will see. So one thing we need to do always, I say, is place ourselves in that situation. If I'm in that group and, geez, I'm following Christ for whatever your reason, you're a seeker, you're a mocker, or maybe you're just holier than thou, like a Pharisee, or whatever it might be, or you're a disciple, you're a learner, you're, want, you're listening to him. Place yourself in that situation, in this situation, in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, uh, in these verses that we're going to speak of, and, and you will see how it directly applies to us, everybody. There's room for everybody in, this, in these passages here, where, no matter where you are, as far as, as far as it goes, is you being in the audience. So, um, number one, we have the disciples, or the believer that he's speaking to. And then you have the one, the person that is not, or not yet. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, there's a verse that you're very familiar with. It says this in the New Living Translation, Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So if you're listening to this message and you're saying, I follow Christ, well, you're a disciple, you're a student. And if you don't follow Christ, well, then you oppose him, you're against him. And so it makes it very simple, very simple to see what category we fit in. So this verse one, he said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come, the disciple. Let me elaborate a little bit on on being a disciple. Um, it, it's important to understand that that word mathetas means learner. It simply means pupil or a student. Now, so think about this for ourselves is that we are students of the Lord. 
we are pretty much, uh, you can look at it as we are in his classroom of life. And are we paying attention? Are we learning? Are we there to study? Do, what are our study habits? We, we could go on and on about what it means to be a student of the word or the student of the Lord, a student of the Lord. And let me ask you guys this. You don't have to raise your hands, but it'd be interesting. How many of you were good students in school? All right, we have five. <laughs> You're probably saying, I don't want to say, I, yeah, I was a good student. But yeah, I'm sure you were all pretty good students. How many of us were bad students? All right, wow. Honest people too, praise the Lord. Yeah, bad students. Are. How many of us were like a teacher's pet? Ah, I see Carol has her hand up. Carol, yes. Carol was a very good student. Very good. Um, and uh, how many of you guys were class clowns? Ah, what? Well, a couple of females. All right. Cool. That must have been fun to have you in class. Myself, I was a terrible student. Horrible study habits, you know, cram everything and what have you. Um, and one thing I loved to do was ditch. When I got to high school, junior high, yes, junior high was really, really horrible things. But then high school was more of the fun, horrible things which is still sinful, but uh, I love ditching. I love getting out of class. Whatever I could do, we always, my buddies and I, we would pretty much go to the, the arcade. That's what we would do and go play all the, it was in the 80s. So. <laughs> so we're playing video games, but we would ditch, and I loved ditching. I just didn't want to be in class. didn't want to learn. And we have to look at that. What kind of a student am I of the Lord? Do I want to be here? Do I want to ditch Sunday? I want to stay home. I want to go to the arcade. I want to watch something or whatever it is, or sleep in. You know, I'm thinking of, of ditching. Uh, I think I mentioned this with the men recently. Uh, there was one time in high school where we ditched, and we all, there was a gate that we conveniently had cut, so it was easy to leave. And uh, we all jumped in my buddy's Pinto. He had a station wagon Pinto. It was a station wagon, so there was more room. And I still can't remember exactly how many it was, but it was anywhere from 13 to 15 guys that we crammed in there. 13 to 15 guys. We even drove off with one on the top because we couldn't fit him in. But we stopped on top of the hill and we crammed him in. And uh, so a lot of fun, but I didn't learn a lot because I was ditching school. Same thing with the Lord. If we're ditching uh, church, if we're avoiding church, if we're sitting here and just drawing or texting or just not paying attention, then what kind of a student are we? What kind of a disciple? So the term disciple, it's important to understand that if you are a disciple, you are a learner. You're here to learn. Um, that, that term disciple, it was a broad term. It eventually became more absolute, more, um, uh, more of what defined, I guess. If in Acts 11, Acts 11, 26, the latter part of that verse, we see, speaking of disciple, it says, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So the disciples became known as the Christians. So if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. If you're a disciple, you're a Christian. And so I just want to make that clear that this, the, knowing that we are disciples and understanding that that's who we are. John 13, 35 says this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my, my disciples. The, the, you know, the world's watching. The world's watching and they're taking notes. They're watching us closely, much like they set up Jesus here at this dinner. They're watching and waiting for us to make mistakes. John 8.31 says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. So defining disciple is that we live a life that is surrendered 
following the Lord's teachings. Someone who is continually learning. Not that I've learned and now that I'm saved. It's I'm, I'm a believer and I'm learning and I'm continuing in the Lord. So Luke 17.1. Okay, so Luke 17.1 says, he said to his disciples, so here he is talking to this crowd, but he's now addressing his disciples. But he, this is interesting. This is really cool to me, is if I had a room full of, well, my friends, and then not my friends, and then people that hate me, I'm going to talk to all of them at the same time, even when I'm addressing my friends. And I see Jesus doing that here. He said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through, through whom they come. Inevitable. He's saying it's certain to happen. In some of your translations, it says impossible, meaning impossible, that it's not going to happen. It is definitely going to happen. It is certain to happen. That Greek word inevitable means unavoidable, that you're going to have stumbling blocks. Stumbling blocks is scandalon in the Greek, and that means uh, a snare or to cause error. So woe to them who trap you. Woe to them who are uh, trying to cause you to error. It's a derivative of a Greek word that is referring to a, a trap stick to catch animals. Reading about this and, and knowing that you know, it's, it's a trap stick or a bent stick or whatever it is and however they used it to catch animals, it, I think back when I was a younger kid, when I was a kid in my backyard, I would try and catch birds. And I don't know how many of you tried this, but do you ever use like a milk crate or a box with a stick and a little string? Right? And yeah, exactly. And, and I know it works. And I was trying to think, I was trying to think, I can't remember if I ever caught any birds. But I remember the hunt, the thrill of the hunt. Well, what do you want to call it? Trapping. The thrill of, yeah, wow, big hunter, Steve, with a stick and little birds in his backyard. <laughs> so, but with, with hiding and waiting with kite string and waiting for the birds and waiting. And, but that, that desire to catch them. You know, the enemy has that same desire. He's focused on trying to trap you. He's focused on setting up a snare to get us trapped. And he loves doing it. So when I'm thinking of this thing here, the stumbling blocks, Jesus says, woe to them, man. Woe to them about stumbling blocks. So Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, you know what? Watch out for them. And woe to them, because there's some there. I don't know if he looked and glanced over at them, like saying, hey, you guys, just watch out for those. And woe to those guys. And then look at them and then look back at his disciples. I don't know. It'd be pretty cool if he did, though. But he maybe didn't even have to, because they know who they are. Stumbling blocks. And we need to watch out for stumbling blocks. Stumbling blocks come in all different types of ways, of course, uh, through relationships, even through believers, and the devil himself. In Proverbs 7, verses 21 through 23, there's a stumbling block that is rampant in today's society. Proverbs, uh, 7, uh, Proverbs 7 speaks of the, the harlot. The father's telling his son, hey, son, you know, I watched out the window and I saw this guy being led to this prophet, and uh, this harlot and whatever, and they go do their thing. Verse 21, it says this, with her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in ankle bra 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 bracelets to the dis discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver. As a bird hurries to the snare or the trap, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. And I bring this up because that's a major stumbling block for people these days. 
major with what's happening in the way society is, um, sexual stumbling blocks. You know, looking at the men's retreat thing and, and, and thinking about that, and I believe I've shared that passage. I can't imagine I haven't shared that, this passage with the men. But speaking of this for people, for us, for everyone, is to guard yourselves from these types of stumbling blocks. I mean, if you have someone, your girlfriend, a boyfriend, somebody that is, that in the, in the context of Proverbs 7, that allows these things, encourages this kind of behavior, allows you, and if you're in sin, doing these things, or these things back to you, or whatever it might be, that's a stumbling block. And Jesus is speaking about stumbling blocks here. So you young people, I say young, but I'm, maybe I'll say single people, even the married, all of us need to guard our hearts from these types of stumbling blocks and not be wo- uh, wooed, if you will, uh, sexually into a trap, into a snare. So he does not know that it will cost his life. And that's a major thing that we have to guard ourselves from. Look at uh, this next passage, uh, Matthew sixteen twenty-three. Peter. Speaking of Peter, it says, but he turned and said to Peter, this is Jesus, turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. You are a scandalon to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's purposes, but men's. The reason why I share that verse is we might have the best intentions, but we might be causing someone to stumble because we're thinking about, um, about man's desires or... or um, not God's purposes, and looking out for using worldly wisdom to your brother or your sister and not leading them into where God's will is. And we can be a scandal on, we can be a stumbling block. As believers, we can be stumbling blocks to our brothers or sisters. And that's key. It it doesn't mean I'm a believer, so I'm not going to do these things, so no woe to me. It, It can be if we are not pointing people into the direction of the Lord and the Lord's will. Ephesians 6, Ephesians six ten and 11 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes or the methodias of the devil, meaning his craftiness, his tricks, his methods, because he sets up traps. The devil himself sets up traps. The believer can unknowingly set up stumbling blocks. And of course, as I mentioned, we have to guard our our hearts in purity. We have to watch out for these stumbling blocks because after all, Jesus said, it is inevitable, it's going to happen. So we need to guard ourselves. So Luke 17, 1, when he says, but woe to him through whom they come. Look at verse uh, 2, Luke 17, verse 2. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, then that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. So Jesus is making a very strong, powerful statement that we'll get to in a minute, but I want to speak about the little ones that he's referring to here. First, I want to point out the little ones. Look at Matthew 18, um, um, verse 1 through 6. Yeah, Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. And read along with me. They'll be on the wall. <clears throat> Because I want, to know, I want you to know what little ones is. Only little ones, little children, causes little kids, innocent ones uh, under the age of accountability, or little ones as in this. God bless you. Verse 1. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child 
to himself and set him before him. So he calls this little child, brings him forward, and then in verse 3 it says, And said, Truly, I say to you, unless you, uh, uh, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, like this little guy, girl, whatever it was, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4 says, Whoever then humbles himself, whoever humbles themselves as this child, this, the innocence, the purity of this little child. He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 5, And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... See, he's defined little ones. Us. That have the heart like a little one. Uh, but whoever causes one of these little ones, whoever causes one of disciples a believer, a follower, a student who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and be drowned into the depths of the sea. So the context is any child of God. These, any, you cause a little one, you cause a child of God to stumble, woe to you. So that's what Jesus is saying. <clears throat> He's speaking about woe to you. You know, it's interesting, later in this Matthew um, gospel, which we're not addressing, but he goes on to speak about uh, if your hand or your foot or your, or your eye causes you to, to sin, cut it off. Because he's talking about watch out for stumbling blocks. And if it's your hand, it's your own eye, your hand, and he's giving you a figurative spe- uh, language uh, not to literally cut your hand off or pluck your eye out or whatever. But he's speaking that, you know, fix what's wrong with you because you have to fix those stumbling blocks. So anyway... Um, Little ones is causing a believer to stumble. We don't want anything to do with being someone who causes a follower of Christ to stumble. But woe to those, because there's many out there that want us to stumble and set set traps. Luke 17.2 says, It would be better, let's go back to this verse, It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. So he's addressing the crowd. It would be better that, in other words, you mockers here, you guys that don't like me or that are messing with my children or these little ones, woe to them if you cause any of my disciples to stumble. And he said, woe. And he said it in uttered, um, it's uttered with, with grief and denunciation when he says, woe. And when you think of that, you can think of like, you know, like, and woe to these guys. I don't know how Jesus said it, but the word says a lot. The fact that he said, woe to them. Woe to them, because it's uttered in in grief and denunciation. So he's letting them know that they're in trouble if you're causing my disciples to stumble. So Jesus is making an incredibly strong point here. And here, you know, earlier in Luke 14, like 35 or 25 verse, um, he speaks of, um, of um, taking up your cross. And when he spoke about taking up your cross, that was a very graphic image because everyone understood what it meant to take up your cross, crucifixion. Because you would go into certain, certain towns, and if that town wanted to send a message, they had dead people hanging on crucifix or on crosses as you entered the town so you knew that they don't mess around in the town that you're heading into. So they knew the image of a dead body being, uh, hanging on a cross. He said that in Luke 14, but here he does it again. And now Jesus is on the road. He's talking to everyone, and he's using another incredible uh, picture. He's saying it would be better. 
you are better off this happening to you than if you mess with a disciple. It's an incredibly graphic picture. I love the fact that he does this, and he speaks about drowning. And drowning is horrible. When you think about drowning, has anyone ever experienced nearly drowning? And it's, isn't it f- incredibly scary, thinking it's over? Um, I'm, not a be- uh, I'm not a fan of the beach. Um, as a kid, went to the beach, and I, it was a couple of times that I felt like I was going to drown. I went into the water, and, and, and then the ground just went out from under me. I didn't have enough air. I felt, I thought that was it. I'm like, wow, I'm going to drown. Fearful. Then I gained my footing and what have you, and it happened a couple of times. And since then, I've never been a fan um, of the beach. But drowning is a horrible picture. It's something horrible that takes place. And for a kid, you can imagine just the scary, uh, you know, the thought for a young person to feel like they're going to drown. In fact, my nephew... <clears throat> one, one time, <laughs> we were having this uh, little party, and, and Carol and I were married, I believe. Were we married? I think we were married, right, at the time. And so we were having a, a barbecue or something, and we're in the, at her house, and we're in the swimming pool, and we're playing that game, you know, where you get someone on your shoulders, and you push each other off, that game. And my nephew was on my brother-in-law's shoulders. Carol was on mine. And so we're playing that game, and, you know, we push, and everybody falls, and, um, and, and, uh, uh, so we fall in the water, and you're in the middle, and you're trying to, you know, get your air back, and you're trying to get to the side. And, well, Carol, as in her attempt to get to the side, she was not doing this on purpose, but she was using my nephew to get to the thing, to the edge, while holding him down. And, and so he felt like he was going to drown. And then, of course, later he comes up crying and saying, you know, my, my aunt's trying to kill me. <laughs> And he's crying, poor guy. But Carol didn't do it on purpose. The funny thing about this story, if it's funny at all, is that when he was that little guy, my, that, my nephew, he had heard adults talking. And these adults were talking about a woman, and the woman had the name Carol. And they were talking about how they thought she was a witch. Well, this poor guy grew up thinking that his aunt was that Carol, the witch. So the poor guy, when in his drowning, thought, his aunt, the witch, was drowning him. And so that's why he was so terrified. <laughs> so, but Carol is not a witch. <laughs> it, was an, it was accidental. Carol just tried. She said, I thought I was going to drown. So she used her nephew so she wouldn't drown. So anyway, kind of a funny story. But drowning is horrible. It's got to be <laughs> terrible to experience. I had a little fear as a kid, and it was horrific. Um, but, but you think about someone drowning. Now, see, Jesus, in Matthew, when he talks about the heavy millstone, they had different types of millstones, handheld, and then you had the heavy millstone, which was large, and it was basically powered by a donkey. And you'll see that in, uh, in Matthew, the Greek words there that are used are uh, that this millstone, or this stone, was, the Greek word might be onikos or something like that, speaking of the, the donkey. So it's donkey-powered. That's a big millstone. So Jesus is making a clear picture that it's better if you have a heavy millstone wrapped around your neck. And you know what? Jesus knows who he's talking to. And he's talking to his disciples. But, right, he's talking to everybody there. Woe to you. And so this millstone, this heavy millstone, I mean, think about it. 
Jesus, the picture Jesus, I just love that he's using this picture. I mean, he's basically talking about sort of a mafia-style killing. Think about it. Putting a millstone around his neck and throwing him in the depths of the sea. Sort of like putting on the, what, cement shoes, right? And throwing him in the lake to sleep with the fishes. Or fish. So Jesus, I just love that he's being graphic, that he's being strong with his words, that he's being rated R with this picture. Because he's, make, he's getting the picture across that he is not messing around. Nor should you mess around with his disciples. Jesus is strong. He's being tough. And he's also being loving right here. Incredibly loving. He's bringing security to his disciples. He's protecting his disciples with his words. And he's warning those with harsh words because he loves them too. So that they don't have to suffer. So in my book... That shows me that the Lord loves me. In my book, when somebody says, you know what, man, I, I'll get, I have your back. Nobody's going to mess with you. That's love to me. You know, when I was uh, in, um, in junior high, I got in a lot of trouble. And uh, uh, there was this one time where, well, I, was, I got in trouble with a guy, and he was kind of part of a, a gang. And so I got jumped. And uh, when I got jumped, it was like, I want to say 20 guys, but it was 20. It was, yeah, right? Make it sound good. But there was definitely more. There was like 10 guys and then five. I had to fight five. So I got all beat up and I was all messed up and everything. I went home. My dad didn't live with us at the time, but my dad said, you know, what happened here, whatever. And so what took place was from that day on, my father says, you know what? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be parked. And I'm going to watch you walk home every day. He was parked and he, he sat in his station wagon with a pipe waiting for something to take place so he would protect me and defend me. And that showed me that my father loved me because he was going to protect me. He would have gotten in a lot of trouble too if he, something would have happened. But I had a friend who said, dude, you're, your dad's crazy. And I, and I was like, yeah, my dad's crazy. And it, it, I felt a sense of protection and pride and, and knowing that my dad was going to take care of me. And... Um, so knowing that he had my back, I got in more trouble. No, I didn't. But it was, it, it was a sense of security that he loved me. And when the Lord speaks like this, that, man, if you mess with my disciples, you're better off this happening to you, this mafia-style death to take place than having to deal with me. So that is, is pretty radical to me, what Jesus is doing here. So look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Um, Be on your guard. He, the Lord says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, if he repents, forgive him. So here Jesus continues to reveal his heart. He's, uh, he reveals now the expectation of our hearts. He's sort of like Matthew 5.48 uh, we talked about recently. Um, to be perfect as your uh, father in heaven is perfect. And that word teleos means to be mature, grow, or be uh, complete. In other words, our walk with Christ, we can't be perfect, we're not perfect, but we should be growing to perfection, towards perfection, always growing. And so he's basically saying, you know, we need to be like the Lord. He's giving us a, a, a picture here. So there's two things that are taking place. He says guard. Uh, prosecco is the Greek word. It means pay attention, be cautious, take heed, devote thought and effort to. In other words, be on your guard because of stumbling blocks. 
So he's talking to his disciples, and this is where, wow, the practical kicks in for us. What does the Lord expect of me? He wants me to guard myself. There are, there are stumbling blocks everywhere, Steve. Guard yourself. Take care of yourself. Get, think about it. Put effort into protecting yourself, guarding your heart. Pay attention. Be cautious. So number one, he's saying, take care of yourself. Guard your heart. Guard your walk. And then he says to basically, and take care of your brother. So there's a twofold there. Steve, or you, be on your guard. Be on your guard, disciples. If your brother sins, rebuke him. So it's not all about us. It's about serving. It's about helping, edifying the body. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Rebuke means is epitimao. Epitimao, and it means a strong disapproval, an admonition or a stern warning to charge sharply. In other words, you go and help your brother. You go and you charge them sharply. Give them a stern warning. Now, we have to be careful when we see this, like, oh, okay, I'm going to go rebuke that guy. Watch this. You know, I'm going to really be strong and sharp with him. Mm -mm. We have to guard ourselves. Now, we're talking about if your brother sins, rebuke him. Okay, Um, Proverbs 27.5 says this. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. It's very important that we operate as the Lord is commanding us. Rebuke your brother. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. In other words, I love him too much. I don't want to hurt his feelings. It's awkward. I know he's my best friend, and I just can't do that to him. You probably are the best person to help him because you're his best friend. And so Proverbs 12, 18 says this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I want to understand that our words can be um, like, like uh, sword thrusts. So we have to be careful. Say anything that, hey, Steve, you know what? I've noticed you're doing this. They could say it in the most gentle, soft, beautiful, fluffy way, and I can be offended and feel like they just got stabbed with a sword. So we have to be careful and gentle, but at the same time, we have to rebuke. It comes with its, with its own thrust, I guess. Um, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And so the Lord is trying to let us know that, you know, what are we about? Reconciliation. Rebuke isn't to, to just be sharp and harsh. It's for reconciliation. Rebuke is to reconcile. So if he, repent, if he repents, which is metanaeo in the Greek, metanaeo, it means to change his mind for the better, to heartily amend with abhorrence for past sins. So we're seeing here is when somebody repents and says an abhorrence, a hatred for that past sin that I've done, that I truly am going to turn from it because I hate it. So now that, when the person repents, what are we supposed to do? Forgive. Clear, that's what the Lord does, right? That's who he is. And we're seeing that that's who he expects us to be. Um, To forgive, it means to depart to, to let go, to keep no longer, or to, to keep no longer, to expire. Let it go and just let it expire. Thing in the past. Leave it in the past. You know, I saw this, um, this little, <laughs> this meme, and uh, it, was, it was gender specific. It was one of the two genders that exist. And it was, um, 
but I'm not going to share with you which gender it is. You could fill in the, the blank there. But it said this. I had a picture. And it said, um, blanks, gender, one of the two, make great archaeologists. They just love digging up the past. <laughs> so it made, made me laugh, you know. By the way, the men's retreat's coming up, guys. And... <laughs> Seriously, uh, actually, um, you do have to turn in some numbers this week for the men's retreat, so let them know. Let Jimmy know if you're going to go. Uh, we we want to get numbers so we can get all, all the accommodations all set up. So anyway, leaving things in the past. You know, you don't say, I forgive you. You know what? Just like last week, here you go again. You know, last year, here you go. And bringing up the past. In, in the proper context and done properly, there are times. If there's a pattern, uh, the past is relevant. The past makes sense. There's a pattern. But uh, you know what I'm saying here. When you forgive someone, it's to let it go. It's in the past. It's, it's um, to keep no longer. Um, let me read a couple of verses to you. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore or fix what is broken or repair what is torn. Such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one of you looking to yourself so that you do not so that you too will not be tempted because there's stumbling blocks and we might just stumble right into something when we're trying to do the right thing and help someone. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the Lord's forgiveness and that's what we're called to do. Look at verse 4 of 17. 17.4 17, uh, says, and if he sins against you seven times, and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. So you're like, whoa, wait a minute. You just described what it means to repent, and, and then I have to forgive him. Sure, he hates what he did, past sin, abhorrence towards it. But here, Jesus goes on to say, and if he sins against you, and by the way, if he sins against you uh, seven times in one day, and returns to you seven times in that one day, saying, I repent, you forgive. Wow. Now that is pretty heavy. That is heavy right now, and this is where the application is big time for us when it comes to forgiveness. Lord, we ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me. I, I did this, or I did this again. Please forgive me. And he forgives us. Someone comes to us and says, oh, man, I'm sorry, bro. Forgive me. Like, well, well, do you mean it? You know, that's the third time. Keeping count, you know. You know, or is it like the Lord? It's hard to be like the Lord, right? Because we're not perfect. So, wow, you know, that's a lot of forgiving. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, check this out. Peter. Then Peter came up and said to him, to the Lord, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times? In verse 22, Jesus said, it says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, Peter's not thinking necessarily about the value of gaining his brother back, I don't think. I don't think he's thinking about that. I think he's thinking about other things. See, Peter, he goes up to, I don't want to know how Peter said that. Because Peter may have known something. 
in Jewish culture or Jewish understanding, tradition, it was understood that the Lord would uh, forgive up to three times. And so the rabbis would teach that, that the Lord would, would um, forgive three times max. And so here's Peter. Does Peter know this? Because Peter says, how many times after he sins? How many times? Uh, um, seven? As, as many as seven? He doubles it and adds one. And does he know what he's talking about? Did he know that he doubled the Jewish tradition and saying, you know what? How about this, Lord? Seven times, huh? How's that for a disciple? Well, Jesus says, you know, I don't say that. This rabbi doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't teach that. Je Jesus is making the point that you forgive. You continue to forgive. He's not saying, do the math, Peter, and like, oh, okay, you know, 490 or whatever these numbers he's coming up with. He's saying, he's giving them the number. He goes, no, no, Peter. And he gets, it's, almost, it's sort of like saying, hey, Steve, how many times should I forgive him? You know what? And he says, five times? I'll say, 10,000 times that, man. I'm not saying, okay, do the math, and then he's done when he's finished with it. I'm saying, in other words, just keep going. I'm just trying to make a point, and Jesus is making a point here. Forgive seven times a day. Think about this now. I mean, let's be real. After seven times, I think we kind of want to punch him in the face. <laughs> now, we can't do that, so we don't do that, but that's how it can become. Like, you know what? I'm not, you're, you know, you're, you're messing with me now. Now you're, you're, you're playing games with me. Now you're taking advantage of me. No, I'm not going to forgive you. Is that what we're going to do? Do we know their heart? Do we know if they're sincerely struggling with something? Do they know they have maybe an issue and they're doing their best and they sincerely are, are seeking forgiveness and we are personally hurt and we're not letting go? So that's a, some things for us to consider here. Um, but you know what? Without Christ, what, what's the old saying? You know, when someone does something to you, you know, it's all right. I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to get even. I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to get even. But you know what? Romans 12, uh, 17 says this. We have to guard ourselves from prideful reactions when someone's seeking forgiveness. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought as to, give thought, I'm sorry, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we, we, have, to, we have to guard ourselves. You know, we want to learn to be more like Christ? Here it is. Here's the lesson for us as students to learn, to forgive, to continually forgive. Now, um, this word here says, but give thought um, to do what is honorable. Uh, give thought is pronoeo in the Greek, and it means to perceive before. To think beforehand about how you're going to respond. So in other words, slow down. You know, think about this. Is forgiveness is the most godlike behavior or action that we're called to do. And it's tough. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's incredibly difficult. Depending on what the hurt is, what the sin is, what the offense is. Whatever that stumbling block was to you. To forgive. Now, we have to be careful and not to get to this point. Let me give you some verses as, and point out how we, where we don't want to go. 
uh, with this. Proverbs 24:29 says, Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay the man back for what he has done. Right here in the original language, pay the man back is shuv. And shuv means to return or to come back equal to. It's like, okay, you're going to do that to me? Then I'm going to do that back to you. Are you going to do that to me three times? I'm going to do that back to you three times. And you try and match it. So you hurt me this much, I'll hurt you that much. And our hearts, our flesh can get that way. We're saying, you know, I'm hurt. I'm going to make them hurt. I'm sad, what they said. I'm going to hurt their feelings now. And we can become this way in reacting because the flesh wants to return evil for evil. Proverbs 20, verse 22 says, Do not say, I will repay evil. For the Lord, uh, wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Do not say. That word is ahmar. And ahmar means to answer, to actually say it, or to think it to say in one's heart. So we are, let's not get to a point where we're even thinking about it because the Lord, Lord knows what we're thinking. He knows that if somebody does something to me like, whoa, man, you know what? I would like to do to that guy. Uh-oh, the Lord knows. I didn't say it. I'm thinking it. The Lord knows. And he's disappointed in me. I have to be better than this. Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So good sense is sahel, and that means insight, to have understanding. We have understanding probably now. We have to guard ourselves. These are stumbling blocks that we can fall into when it comes to forgiveness or not forgiving. We have to be slow to anger, and that's ahrak. And ahrak means to, de- to delay, to prolong, maybe even days. In other words, wow, I am really upset with that person. I'm going to give him a call right now. Oh, hold on. You're a little upset right now. You might not want to call. Seek the Lord. Pray. Calm your heart. You're emotionally driven right now. And maybe if it takes a day or two or an hour or 10 minutes, whatever it is, then you address it so that we don't get into the, the flesh. Amen? So being angry, it's understandable. But we have to uh, guard our hearts. James 1.19 says this. So um, keep this in mind or keep this in your, in your hearts. James 1.19 says this, you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You see, we could hear that and see this and read it and say, okay, I got to remember this. Um, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But that's easier said than done a lot of times. It's a lot easier said than done. And, you know, somebody might say, you know what, you need to walk in my shoes. This is how I'm being treated. You know what, I have, I have every right to be angry. And you might. You might have every right to be angry. But we don't want to sin in that anger, in our response. In James 1.20 continues, it says, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You see, that anger is a stumbling block, man. It could really cause us to stumble. The devil, you know, messes with us, gets us angry enough, we're going to act out in our anger and sin against somebody. And we've got to be careful. And, and for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Achieve, that word, erogazomai, it's to cause to exist or to produce something. So that gives us the question, what am I trying to produce here? 
that person really upset me and hurt me. I'm going to call him right now, and I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Maybe I'm going to rebuke him. But how are the emotions behind this? Are you going to restore that person, considering yourself? Is your goal, what is your goal to achieve? The righteousness of God. That's the goal. And so when somebody is sinning against you seven times in one day and comes to you seven times, we are told to forgive. Luke 17, 4, uh, again, says to forgive. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, and if he sins against you seven times in a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Luke 17, 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith increase our faith you can if you didn't read verse five yet and you're like if he sins against me seven times i know someone who sins against me seven times maybe a day i don't know maybe a week and they're always saying oh i'm sorry oh i'm so sorry oh i'm so sorry and you know what and you know how you feel and then the lord says forgive him your response should be lord help me help me with this because that's how the lord is with us when we come to him he's faithful to forgive us. Are we as disciples faithful to forgive our brother and sister who is broken and asking and seeking our forgiveness? Are we that Christ-like? So the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith means to add or to supplement. It means to grow um, in the Greek. Grow our faith, Lord. Grow my faith, Lord. Grow my patience. You know, that is our response for when it becomes difficult, our walk with the Lord becomes difficult. Of course, we have to lean on the Lord and seek him for that strength to increase. You see, what's happening here is the apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. That is a humble admonition or uh, admission to uh, weakness. And that's where we need to live in humility. Lord, I need help. Because if someone pushes the wrong buttons, I know how I might respond Help me for those times. So they say, he say, it's, they say to increase our faith. And there's that word, I mean, not the word, but there comes that principle of to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Teleos. We talked about that, I think, the last time um, I taught. Teleos. Help me to be mature. Help me, Lord, to grow so that I can forgive somebody. If I'm found in a position where this person's done it the third time, exact same sin. And yeah, I know they're crying and they're broken. They'll say they'll never do it again. But I've been down that road already. Do we know their hearts? Can we forgive like the Lord does? In verse 17, uh, uh, verse 6 of chapter 17, it goes on to say, And the Lord said, If you, have, if you had faith like, uh, like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and be planted in the sea. And it would. So, Interestingly, is that mustard seed or the mustard plant can grow up to uh, 15 feet in height. So he's speaking about something that, listen, you guys, yeah, we need to grow in our faith. We need to increase. But we, you know what? With what we have, so much can be accomplished because it's of the Lord. If you are a follower of Christ, you have the ability to forgive someone those seven times. Grow my faith. Yes, you know what? You have your faith. If you're faithful to the Lord, he's saying, look, if, it was, if you have this much, you're going to be fine. But we do want to grow, of course. But his point is that you would, if you had that much, and you do, 
we have faith. If you, if you said to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, which isn't going to happen, of course, You're making a point um, metaphorically, and it would, it would obey you. This mulberry tree can grow up to 30 feet tall. It's a, a sycamine tree. It's probably the black um, uh, mulberry tree. And it has a very extensive root system. That's important to know. I mean, if I'm talking to you and I say, and we all know what the mulberry tree is like, we know what it's like to maybe dig up the roots. It's a pretty, um, pretty big job because they have a very extensive root system. And then I said, look, man, guys, um, if we had this faith, um, we could get a mulberry tree with its extensive root system and uproot it. It can be uprooted. Uprooted is ekridzo'o, and it means to be plucked out by the roots. You know when you pull in weeds, you know you want to grab them really low, right? And make sure you break down the soil and pull out the entire root. Because otherwise it just comes back, right? You want to do it right. You don't just get the weed whacker and whack them down. They'll be back. They'll be back in an hour, the weeds. So you want to get them from the roots. And you know that, okay, this, this tall root or this tall weed, I know how long that root's going to be. So I'm going to break up the soil, work it, work it, and boom, look at that. Got it. But when you're talking about this mulberry tree, he's talking to an audience that knows this tree. And he's giving them the picture that this tree, this 30-foot tall tree with an extensive root system with faith, he's giving us metaphorically a, a picture that that could be uprooted, uprooted by its roots, taken by its roots, and planted in the sea. In other words, you guys can do this. You can forgive. You might be hurt and you can't see any way to get beyond this because I have been hurt time and time again by this same person pretty much the same way. And I don't know what to do. Well, the Lord is telling us that it can be done. That is what he's showing us. What appears to be difficult, if not impossible, can be done. That's what he's teaching us here. Um, think about ourselves, man. When we're going to the Lord, we've asked for forgiveness. Think about how, this. Last year, how many times did you seek the Lord for forgiveness? And did he give it? How many times for the same thing last year? How about last month? How about last week? How many times does he have us coming to him and saying, Lord, forgive me. I, I, I've blown it again. He's not keeping a record. He's, in fact, let's consider the Lord's forgiveness. And, and we'll kind of wrap up in here with this. No better place to wrap it up but understanding the Lord's forgiveness. In Micah 7.19, Micah 7.19, it says this, Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. So he's, we see here that we'll have, you will have compassion. God has compassion for us when we sin, when we come to him when we repent, when we seek forgiveness. It says he will throw them into the depths of the sea. And that word shalak means to cast or to hurl or to fling into the ocean. I mean, just picture bringing someone to someone and saying, look, I'm so sorry about this. And you know what? All right, let's get on with this. How's your day going? It's like, and we get hung up on this on the sin that was cast, and it's gone. It's out of sight, into the depths of the sea. And, and the Lord wants to continue relationship there. But we can get so filled with shame, guilt, and that we, it's hard for us to go on. But the incredible beauty of the Lord's forgiveness, it, it's just, 
you know, it, it's hard to explain. So he throws these things into the depths of the ocean. He doesn't hold it against us. It's a clean slate, you know. Um, and that's the way we should be with people. And we forgive them to be able to leave it in the past. Depths of the ocean to get rid of it. You will have compassion on us. That word compassion is rachem. Rachem means to feel or show compassion, to love deeply, to show pity, to show mercy. It's to tenderly regard or love someone. Now, when someone's hurt your feelings and they're seeking forgiveness, it might be very hard to be tender and loving to them because you're still hurt. But you need to get to that point where you are tender to them, where you show mercy and you show pity because after all, they are broken. And sometimes if we don't, we're not convinced they're really broken, it's harder for us to forgive. It's not our job. That's not our job. If that person is saying, I am so sorry. I, 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 even, I know I did it again. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. You might want to share some scriptures to make sure they understand that, that is, if that's true repentance and lovingly, carefully, not like a sword. And, it, and then, hey, it's, it, if that's what they're saying, your role, according to the Lord, is forgive them. Not do this, 21 questions, not do this, give it a day, forgive them. So compassion, this word uh, compassion, in Proverbs 28, 13, it says this, one who conceals wrongdoings will not prosper, but one who confesses and abandons them will find compassion. We find compassion when we sincerely surrender, are broken, and we come to the Lord. We find compassion. That's the way people need to, that they need to find that same compassion from us when we forgive that word compassion, it's rooted in, um, in a word that has to do with the womb. And in Psalm 103, I have three more verses for you. In Psalm 103, 13, it says, Just as the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. It's a compassion that a parent has, a father has towards his son, towards his child. So there is a genuine compassion. Someone comes to me and I'm hurt there has to be a compassion where I'm not just feeling this, this guy, this whatever. It's somebody who is a believer. Somebody that is connected in the faith with me. My brother, my sister. There's a relationship there. So a father's love. You know, we, it causes us to think of our own children, to think of them um, as your own child. There's a lot of times when you might be talking with someone, counseling with someone. It's very easy and very helpful to, you know what, this, how would I feel if that were my daughter? How about if that's my son? Or this, is my, this married couple's having issues and I'm trying to help as if what I would want to see for my daughter, what I'd want to see for my son and how to get this marriage to work. And, and, he, and that helps get rid of all the personal thoughts about what they did wrong and what have you, but to help them because you love them. So, um, last two verses I want to share with you to put in our hearts before we leave or, and before we take communion. Uh, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Always in the forefront of our hearts, I'm forgiven. And I was a mess. I am a mess. I'm nothing without Christ. And he forgives me. How am I going to not forgive somebody when they come to me? 
Colossians 3.13 says this, Bearing with one another and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There's no, no, no question about it. We must forgive. When someone comes to us, whether it's seven times in one day uh, for the same thing and is repenting, we forgive. And there here in Luke, the, those, that half dozen of verses uh, is, is a great lesson for us, great lessons. There's many lessons there. But the biggest lesson there is forgiveness, grasping the Father's love. If you want to, what, do I, what can I take here for, for today, from today? is the Lord's forgiveness, his forgiveness for my sins. Starting at that point, and then work your way back through the verses that we just read. Because then everything makes sense. Who are we not to forgive? Boy, I got to watch out for stumbling blocks. I don't want to offend and sin against the one who has forgiven me. Scriptures speak about sinning against people and sinning against heaven. The, rec- the understanding is that when we sin, I don't just sin against Ralph, I s- sin against God. So if I start with God, and I start with his forgiveness, and how he's delivered me from, uh, from the direction of lead that leads to hell, wow, that is the mindset I need to have, then I can look at those verses. And it makes all the difference, amen? Praise the Lord. Do, do we all have communion in our hands? Let's pray first. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for this uh, study today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, right now, as we're about to uh, hand out um, communion, Lord, that our hearts would, would, would be resting on forgiveness, resting on your work on the cross. Lord, help us to, to start there every morning. Help us there to start every day with that so that the rest of the day is understandable or endurable, that, that we can endure it, that we can, we can put up with sin against us, that we can put up and avoid stumbling blocks. Lord, I pray that your word would just continue to change our hearts, to grow us, to mature us, to bring us to a point where we bring glory to you, and that is the, the, the goal of our hearts every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.